This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Grant Collins will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Hello, everybody. Today, it is uh, November the 3rd. Today is Wednesday. Uh, we're recording. Market was up again today. Broke. Uh, S&P closed at new records after the Fed said the economy is strong enough to slow pandemic bond buying. Uh, and then yields also went up a little bit higher after Fed's, you know, is set to begin tapering this month. So yields ended the day at 1.609 um, on the 10-year. So once again, over 1.6. Uh, so, I mean, what do we have? Right now, we have about 11 million job openings. Um, unemployment's expired. We see workers um, and, and parents kind of still reluctant, I guess, to go back. I mean, Jerome Powell's thoughts were that, I mean, with Delta variant, of course, a lot of schools are still 60% on, 40% off, et cetera. So that makes full-time employment difficult. Uh, but we're still looking at a very tight labor market. Grant, anything else uh, happened in the market should we should mention? Or do you want to talk about Powell's statements a little bit or... Start yeah, let's jump into uh, into the what the Federal Reserve came out today. So they released their their current stance. To be expected, they are going to begin tapering the pace that they uh, make bond purchases. So it's ten billion less in Treasuries per month and five billion less in mortgage-backed securities, and that will continue to decrease each month. Uh, to be expected, the big one was any hint on rate. It, increases next year um i know we'll talk a little bit more about that sounds like they're at least the market's pricing in one maybe two and then uh, a big one is really uh inflation so he talked about inflation and there is really no preset course on that so interesting comments from him but still isn't isn't tipping their hats when we're going to see a rate hike in, in regards to inflation i mean what do you, he called it the liftoff threshold. And what he thinks is difficult, obviously, to ascertain right now is whether or not what the level of inflation is, because, you know, we're not at full employment. Um, I think so. An ADP survey came out today and, you know, within a couple of days, we'll have a full jobs report. But I think we're going to blow those numbers out, at least from this survey. Um, it's looking at 571,000 new jobs in October. Um, so the pace of hiring was much larger than expected. The Economist at the Wall Street Journal had forecast, you know, 395,000. So, you know, I'm really looking forward to, uh, you know, this this U the U.S. Labor Department's, you know, broader employment survey and 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 you know, find kind of final. Um, numbers because you know sometimes the reports are a little off and ADP is not always a perfect bellwether but if those numbers are true uh we're going to be looking at you know different conversations about inflation and you know we're just going to have more people working and the fed is anticipating inflation to last until around at least the middle of 2022 based on their comments they're banking on supply chains bottlenecks and, and employment um well one for the supply chains to alleviate and then also for the unemployment to continue to drop 
doesn't seem like they're they're too worried. They think it's a spike in consumer demand coming out of the pandemic, reopening the economy. When you shut down the entire global economy, getting it kickstarted is, is obviously going to take a little bit. Um, one other thing that I think we should mention, Drew, is Wells Fargo. Uh, everyone's been wondering when the Fed or is going to lift the restrictions on their balance sheet level. So if you remember in 2017, they can no longer grow their balance sheet from the levels that they were at then. I believe it was about $1.7 trillion. The CEO announced that they have had uh, issues or delays meeting all the requirements from the U.S. regulators. And so that was a big shift in language where it says it may experience delays. Now it seems like it's a it's a definite. So one of the largest U.S. banks still having regulatory setbacks uh, seems like they they can't get out of their own way. Mm -hmm. Um, We've seen in terms of this uh, COVID-19 vaccine mandate. We've seen uh, federal contractors have been giving leeway um, quite a bit. Um, you know, I, when you're looking at several of the airline companies, you know, they're giving people different dates um, in order to get vaccines or provide, you know, religious exemptions. Uh, some companies are cracking down hard. Some are being, you know, a lot, um, I guess, more forgiving. Um, but yeah, I mean the, the the way the policy is being applied is, uh, you know, it's it's very it's it's not that stringent. I mean, pe- people have having a lot of interpretations on how to roll this out with their employees. It seems like, and the labor department is still finalizing those rules. Most of the businesses are working with the labor department, pushing back a little bit. I would say because with already the supply chain disruptions to for them to lay off workers because of a vaccine mandate might even have a. a more drastic effect on the economy. So they've asked for a delay until after the holiday season. Also, this December 8th date where people thought they had to be vaccinated, it's not a hard date for all of them, but really they must demonstrate in good faith that uh, employees are getting vaccinated and have uh, social distancing in place and testing in place if they are not fully vaccinated. We saw two of our largest airlines, Southwest and American, uh, really say vaccinated have to be vaccinated by the December 8th unless they have an exemption. They're really now walking those back and having people apply for exemptions because no one wants to, uh, to to lay off people, especially right before the holidays. Yeah, and it's also important to know that federal contractors don't have to show proof of vaccination rates at the deadline, too. Um Non-compliance, you know, is probably going to be a no-no. Could lose to a federal uh, loss of federal contract, but nothing has to be shown at the time being. We did see eleven Republican states also sue the administration fi- Friday, arguing that it was unconstitutional. Really, the administration just said, "Well, our our laws are and requirements are going to uh, superside the the state laws." So, could see a battle on that front as well. At which point it will take months and, you know, drag out yeah, and, and waste money and, and things will already have, you know, been flushed out at that point. Um, so what we're seeing is manufacturing has also um, slipped slightly, not as much as to be anticipated. But I mean, yeah, we're just seeing a lot of constraints coming into the holiday season. Um, you know, supply bottlenecks, you know, we're seeing all around. Uh, right now, manufacturing still accounts for about 12% of the U.S. economy, and 
the Institute for Supply Management, the ISM numbers that we've, we've definitely quoted here <laughs> once or twice, but um, their reading went down to 60.8, and that's up from September, which was 61.1. And a reading of 50 indicates uh, expansionary and, and manufacturing, as you, as you may have mentioned. Really, what they're quoting is worker shortages, still the biggest constraint on the economy. No surprise there. I think we're going to beat a dead horse on the podcast today talking about that. Really, 10.4 unfilled jobs still by the end of August. One of the big things is the motor vehicle industry has been hit the hardest, which I think is is pretty important. We always talk about used car sales as mm-hmm. as an indicator for inflation, but with the shortages on semiconductors and parts, we're we're seeing a big drag on on that industry. So the the third quarter was the worst period for motor vehicle production since early two thousand and nine, which is pretty significant. Um, so continuing to see there. Um, and most companies are going to continue to pass over these higher costs to consumers. Um, so when consumers all of a sudden say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to buy that new car or the used car, then, then we can see those numbers maybe come down. Um, Americans are definitely more pessimistic, uh, at least when you're looking at the Associated Press um, survey on the economy. Uh, right now, just 35% of the econ- uh, Americans would contrast the uh, the economy as being in a good state. 65% consider it poor, uh, you know, largely due to, I mean, you're looking at gas prices, inflation, um, everything else. Um, you see gas is $5 a, for a gallon in California right now? Yeah. Preposterous. <laughs> I mean, and that's just... It's it's especially tough in rural states. Uh, I mean, gas might not be as high in several of those, but obviously you're driving a lot more, both due to sheer geographic distance and uh, the nature of work. So, um, you know, any increase right now is 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 definitely felt on people's pocketbooks. I think a big other piece from this study was that roughly 47% of Americans expect the economy to get worse next year, um, whereas only 30% expect it to get better. So a bit of doomsdayers, as as you said. One good, I guess, good thing that came out of this is is really two stats. So 49% are highly confident uh, they could pay for an unexpected bill of $1,000, up from 36 in March of 2020 when the pandemic hit. So that's a good number, a 13% increase. And then also workers' bargaining power seemed to improve where 35, 36% of Americans were confident they could find a new job with, with better pay, which shows you how tight the labor market is. What's also, there's always a juxtaposition on how people think the broader economy is versus how they're doing themselves. Uh, 65% of Americans said their personal financial situation is good. Um, that's been pretty stable since the pandemic uh, began. Um, well, look how much deposits have swelled. Yeah. And it's the highest, what, M3 in how many years? Right. So, I mean, people are flush with cash. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, there's pent-up spending. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just it, it makes sense that people think, well, well, I'm doing um, decently, but then juxtapose that with a lot of just sheer data on on. One, you know, the inability to get people back in the labor force, but also just skyrocketing prices in uh, in a lot of different asset classes. And we saw that with consumer confidence as it rose after three straight declines, uh, as the Delta variant seems to coming down a little bit, 
<clears throat> consumer spending makes up about 70% of economic activity. So seeing that rise is, is usually a good sign for the economy. Yeah, I mean, the conference board reported that uh, consumer confidence rose uh, to 113.8 in October, um, it's up from 109.8 in September. Uh, so despite you know a lot of public polling showing that people are pessimistic about the economy, um, there's consumer con- uh, confidence is definitely a, a sharp contrast to some of those numbers. We did already talk about it, but Fed seems like a rate hike. There's traders are giving a 65% chance in June. Second could be a second in September, 51% um, or 51% a third move in, in February 2023. Uh, good news for the banking sector and insurance sector as, as rates may continue to go up, which makes them a little bit more profitable. Uh, key thing is, is how, how do they keep on monitoring inflation? If, are they going to act more quickly? didn't tip their hat today. Um, one thing that we should talk about, Drew, is in coming up in February, looks like Jerome Powell could be up for a new term or replacing someone. Uh, what do you think is going to happen there? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, it definitely seems that traders have priced in more rate hikes than the, the Fed's saying. Um, in terms of Jay Powell, he did get a pretty frank endorsement from, um, you know, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. Uh, she spoke about a discussion she had with with President Biden. Um, she didn't disclose any specifics uh, for Biden, but, you know, Yellen definitely said she gave um, good marks for, for the, uh, the job uh, that Chairman Powell's done. Um, you know, she thinks he's experienced, credible, and has also you know, gone through an incredibly difficult situation and, um, you know, has handled it. Uh, well, uh, you know, during this pandemic, uh, Yellen, I, I think that takes that's a lot of weight. Um, she was in a very similar situation, obviously, in the aftermath of 08. And also, she was in the same job. So if there's anyone's insight to listen to, I, I'd say you, you take Yellen's uh, with definitely more than a grain of salt. Why I think he's widely expected to be renominated. I think it would be a swing and a miss. The only reason why I think Biden might not is if if Powell says, you know what, this <laughs> this last couple of years has been uh, has been too much. I'm I'm out, especially after the pandemic. I, I think he's done a great job on how he's handled getting us out of the pandemic. The the one I would say not bright spot for him has been uh, the trading during these these time periods of regional presidents and, and him himself. We see Senator Elizabeth Warren going after him on this, which is kind of the pot calling the kettle black, especially with Congress mm-hmm. always actively making trades on, I would say, insider information. So it seems a bit funny there. And she said she would vote against him. But uh, after this has come to light, he made a big, big decision that the Fed established uh, that a new rule that policymakers and seniors officials could really not own anything more than a mutual fund or an ETF. Right. So, I mean, that's pretty sweeping. I don't see the Congress doing that anytime soon. No, no. And, and I mean, in terms of Congress, that's just half of it, right? I mean, a lot of them get jobs at corporate boards, uh, which are obviously contingent on policy um, decisions. So, yeah, anyone on the Hill has very little room to talk, um, just flat out. Let's talk about ESG funds. Um, we're actually seeing them outperform the market. Uh, Morningstar's just recently did some um, 
pretty thorough research on this, and they showed that 57 out of 65 ESG funds, 88% of them, have outperformed their broad market equivalents over the last uh, five years. That goes to the end of 2020. Um, uh, yeah, uh, you know, which which is just kind of wild to to see because you know the rule of thumb, or at least the interpretation, has always been that um, if if you have more environmental and social guidelines, you're not going to be able to outperform a broad market. Yeah, broad market, but some some are now coming around on that and thinking that usually the co- companies that have, I mean, maybe not the environmental, but the strong societal and the strong governance typically do outperform because they they have that strong corporate governance. The, the funny thing for me, and ESG is a big topic, and they're saying that ESG will grow to a trillion dollars in assets by 2030, probably more globally. That would just be in the U.S. The funny thing for me is, ESG means something different to someone in Montana than it does to someone in Texas, than it does to someone in Massachusetts, than it does to someone in California, right? So defining that what ESG is, is quite interesting, especially because if we think about why it's so tech heavy, it's because most tech firms don't emit greenhouse gases. They have a small relative footprint. They're not shipping anything. They're not uh, they're, they're mostly just working online and they don't really have any environmental risks. They they hit the E, but do they really have that, that strong governance that we see? So if we take a look at the NASDAQ 100 ESG, the biggest the biggest companies in it are, are Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, PayPal, Netflix, Facebook, Tesla. So, I mean, that yeah. just seems like pretty much the NASDAQ. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's quite funny there. Um, you know, NASDAQ for their exclusion, it appears that you can't be an adult entertainment related to alcohol, fossil fuels, nuclear power, or tobacco. So it's not a big screening there. Um, a lot of different sectors could be in there. It's also a silly screening. I mean, adult entertainment and alcohol could be environmentally friendly, you know, could have good social guidelines. The same with uh, nuclear power, frankly, and even tobacco. Nuclear so, power could be one of the biggest yeah. things to reduce fossil fuels. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's just setting it. Yeah, right? yeah, that seems kind of just a pure botanical standard and really has nothing to do with ESG. And as yeah. I said, I mean, ESG mean, might mean something yeah. different to BlackRock than it does to Fidelity, than yeah. it does to Invesco, right? Those are all people who are creating these funds. Each one, each one could be different. I, I think ESG needs to have a bit more of a, a different guide guidelines is all I, I would say about that. And it does make sense that it would outperform if it's the same. It's the you're filtering out the best tech stocks when tech has been on a huge rally over the last 18 months. Mm-hmm. Um, let's kind of end the today's conversation on what's necessary to end these supply chain problems. Um, also, there's also there's a lot of historical parallels, of course, too. Right. So. I mean, in 1947, you saw inflation surge by 20% because there's a lot of built-up consumption from both the Depression and, and the wartime. Um, and then, you know, the same thing happened in World War I. Um, similar things have happened after other wars. Uh, while this is not a war, I mean, you know, there's definitely, you know, talks. It's kind of perceived as one both in deaths and in sacrifices that have the, you know, that, that's similar to... Uh, you know, World War II's rationing, right? Meat rations. I mean, we've definitely seen rationing due to the pandemic. Um, but yeah, I just, I mean, there's a lot of talks on 
whether you get National Guard involved in terms of uh, helping out with supply chain disruptions. Um, I just think there's a lot of parallels. Um, that's what's going on that, that there has been in the past. I do think we should take a step back for a second and think about how we got here, mm-hmm. right? So why is there so much supply shortages? And effectively, we, we shut off our global economy in order to deal with the pandemic. So each country was responding to their own rules, shutting down different manufacturing, shutting down supply chains. There weren't the same amount of ships. And, and now we have a one huge supply chain issue, pent up demand, and then also um, labor shortages, right? So Jamie Dimon has come out and said that he thinks that by mid-2022 that we would be, pandemic would be behind us, supply chain shortages should work themselves out. That's not what the people on the ground are saying. So port officials really do not believe that they're anywhere close uh, to 2022 with how built up the ports are LA port, which is one of the largest in the country, if not the largest, uh, is now going to be working 24 hours in order to help the supply chain, supply shortages. But also there's just a massive shortage of truckers, uh, warehouse workers, dock workers that really are going to be able to ones that move the goods from the port to the shelves, to your online distributors, really wherever you get your goods. So really, as you said, you know, what is that? Um, and then also, is that why we are seeing such inflation? And, and some people are call, even calling it stagflation, which I think is is the wrong word for it because we've been hearing that word a lot and comparing it to the 70s and well, 80s. It's clearly the wrong word based on what's happening with employment. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, right. Because so, yeah. in the 70s and 80s, you saw double digit unemployment. Right. Where our employment is, even though it's not where it was pre pandemic, it's still going down. Mm-hmm. Interest rates and inflation, um, inflation is not even close to double digits where it was in the 70s and then in the 80s when we had the Volcker administration come in, uh, for the Fed that is. Um, you know, but we still have over a million women who can't return because of, you, you mentioned earlier on the podcast, schools, some schools haven't been reopened. Also the surge of, of child care. I mean, child care is huge line items for young families. So does it make sense to do that? Um, so to, to your point, Drew, coming back around, you know, what could we do? As you mentioned, is it getting the National Guard involved to um, help the nation do the trucking, get the post-war footprint that we've seen? Is it installing uh, new infrastructure to get people jobs, to get people back, back on their feet? Um, you know, I think the National Guard one is actually an interesting one if we were to mobilize and uh-huh. clear out the ports, get the trucks going. Um, I, I think that actually might be good. But then the issue is, is, what happens when all of a sudden we stop that, we're still going to have this this labor shortage as well um, because it looks like more people are, are trying to move up the ladder. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, that was a lot. Of, like Ron and Santa, the reporter, you know, had a lot of these ideas in his op-ed. Um, I've also seen some some people in D.C. call for you know, a decreased regulatory environment. Um, I had no idea that 18-year-olds weren't allowed to be truckers it's 21. I don't know, but stuff like got to be like 25 or 20. It's like like renting a car. Right. So things like that, um, you know, could, could help alleviate that. Right. That seems like a pretty significant barrier to entry. Uh, yeah, but I don't know. I don't know. You don't want to trust an 18 year old, but driving around (laughs) in an 18 wheeler, that seems like, uh, seems like a big one. Yeah. But I mean, you know, there's obviously similar Similar things like that um, that could be looked at. 
Uh, in terms of what I'm looking at uh, recently, um, you saw Kramer you know, called Fang is now Mama. Uh, you got Microsoft in there, but now that Facebook's you know become Meta, uh, so I'm just guess I'm curious to see if we're gonna have a series of Mama ETFs come out and people talk about Mama. Um, you know, people have their thoughts on Kramer, but he more or less coined Fang and look how much use uh, that's got out of for its last several years. But someone in marketing helped him with that. One. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, a couple IPOs coming up. Well, not really an IPO. Black Rifle Coffee. Um, some call it the right wing Starbucks. Will be going public via SPAC. So be on the lookout for that because that will begin to start trading. Um, and then really the shoe company Allbirds. A lot of people do like them. Um, their IPO uh, started trading and, and really surged ninety percent valuation of four point one, uh, which is which is just huge. Uh, so continuing to see how that their ticker symbol is is bird. I love when. And companies do ticker symbols that are creative like that. You know, I think Salesforce might have the best one with CRM. But um, yeah, interesting to see how that how that continues to shake out. Yeah, I didn't realize Black Rifle was having a spec. Um, you know, it's a company that's founded by mostly uh, ex-military veterans, and and they uh, make good coffee. And yeah, and they got <laughs> rave reviews on their coffee. So yeah, I'll be curious curious to see how that all plays out. Um, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Uh, we'll be back next week, uh, and we're out. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WellFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WellFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WellFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.